0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is No Condemnation by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, I remember the words of Ezekiel, your prophet. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says that, As the Lord spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me. Lord, I believe you have a word this morning for people that are here. My words are empty, but your words have power. And I pray only to be a vessel, Lord, and I pray for hearts to be open and receptive in your wonderful name. Amen. We have a fair bit to get through this morning. I promise to be quick. I should be finished by one. Uh, (laughs) Praise God. But we'll start off with something a bit lighter before we get into the heavy stuff. Has anybody heard the account of the Navy captain that's sailing out in the middle of the Pacific and he's, he's going past a lot of remote islands? And there's a remote island in the distance and there's a, there's a pillar of smoke rising from the island, which kind of piques the captain's interest. So he, he lays down the anchor, he jumps in the little dinghy and he heads for the shore. And when he gets there, he finds three huts on the shore and one man. He goes up and introduces himself and says, what's going on? He says, I've been here for some time. He says, I've been stranded on this desert island for some time. He says, but is it only you here? He says, because I kind of noticed three huts. And the guy goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he says, that's my house and that's my church. He goes, yeah, yeah, but what about the other one? He says, that's the church I used to go to. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody in Tasmania will get that. Praise God. Uh, If you could meet me in uh, Romans chapter 8, we're going to... God willing, we'll get through three verses of Romans chapter 8 today. (laughs) Praise his wonderful name. Uh, Some time ago, praise God that mental health has progressed. Some time ago, uh, in sanitariums, particularly in America, it was common practice that before they released anybody from the sanitarium, they had a test that everybody must undergo. True story. In this test, they would take the person to a janitorial closet, they put the plug in the sink, they turn the water on, and just as the water's lapping out of the sink onto the floor, they would pass the person a mop and walk out and close the door. And they would leave the person there for a certain period of time, then they would come back, and if the person is furiously mopping the floor, but the plug is still in the sink, they were not ready to rejoin society. But if, however, they had... Unplugged the problem, cleaned up the mess, they were ready to rejoin society. There's people that have got a lot of questions right now, like, did God cause coronavirus? And everything that's going on in America has got everybody looking through the book of Revelations. What's going on here? (laughs) You don't need to read the book of Revelations. You can find it in the book of Romans. And the problem, I believe, with society, as well as, unfortunately, many of us in church today, is we're running around with mops. We're not dealing with the real problem. You see, Romans chapter 1 says something that's enormously scary. Romans chapter 1 says that God gave them over. And uh, Dr. Tony Evans, great preacher, If you want to know what preaching looks like, listen to Dr. Tony Evans, great guy. He's African-American, so he gets vocal. But he says that if God is your enemy, how many know you've got a problem? If God is your problem, how many know you've got a problem? And he says that the term God gave them over or God turned them over is like God's passive judgment. It's like, you think you can do this without me? You think you can do life without me? All right, I'll just relax my hands for a while and let's see what happens. 600,000 people have currently perished from coronavirus across the globe. America? we have got some problems. Australia's got some problems. And everybody's running around with mops. The problem is, this is what I love about God, is that he always offers a remedy. And the remedy is for us to turn back to God. It's, it's always in the uncomfortable times. It's always when God relaxes his hand and all poo hits the fan that we start reaching for towels. And God says, oh, You've just got to turn to me. Turn away from the fan because every time you wipe it off, it just hits you again. You've got to turn around. And as we come to Romans chapter 8, many people. Romans chapter 8, there is one word that sums up Romans chapter 8. It's a word that people in this room need to hear this morning. There are people sitting here this morning that definitely need to hear this word. In Romans chapter 8, the word is not Calvinism. The word's not foreknowledge. The word's not predestination. The word is not even Holy Spirit. Yes, it mentions the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's about the life in the Holy Spirit. But that's not the one reason that chapter 8 was written. It was written for the word Assurance. When I drove taxis, we had a beautiful Nigerian guy by the name of Alex. Alex would study at the Maritime College all day and drive taxis all night, sleep for three hours and go back and study again. And he was a lovely guy, but we used to do a course. Uh, You had to do a two-week course to get your license. And in that course, they say to you, look, if you get a big fare, you're able to ask for a deposit. You're able to ask for some assurance. Assurance. And God bless Alex's cotton socks. He's, he, this guy, uh, we, he was blessed by God. We, we, we know that because he got all the long fares, Alex. Uh, and uh, you, you didn't know anyone was driving until he smiled. But, but but two people get in one night and they say, we'd like to go to Beaconsfield. Now, Beaconsfield is like oh, the Holy Grail. It's like a it's like $100 fare and in Tasmania, that's a big fare. And Alex goes, well, okay, I've learnt what I've got to do here, Uh, no problems. Uh, That's about $100, I'd like a $50 deposit. They go, yeah, no problem. So they give him a $50 deposit, and bless his cotton socks, he gets all the way to Exeter, which is about halfway, and he pulls over by the side of the road. And they're thinking, what's the problem here? And he says, I need more deposit. (laughs) (laughs) So they gave him some more deposit just to keep him happy. But many Christians are like Alex. We get a certain way along the journey. We turn around to God and say, God, I need more assurance. I need some more security. There's people in here that are wondering, every time I sniff, every time I do something wrong, God, does that mean I'm out? If you're asking that question, you've come to the right chapter. Paul starts the chapter with, uh, there is therefore now, and the word now is not Futuristic. So, what Paul has to say now doesn't apply when you get to glory. It's not, this is not, hey, Paul's not saying, listen, you guys, when you get to heaven, there's not going to be any more condemnation. <laughs> no, no, no. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Now, the therefore reaches back at least to the start of chapter six. At least to the start of chapter six, where Paul is highlighting, you now have a new position. You've got to hold on to that position part. That's going to be really important to what, about, what we talk about next. Because there is a clause for the no condemnation. Now the word condemnation, this is a noun, but the verb is used in verse 3. A very important way that it's used in verse 3. We'll get to that in a moment. But it's a noun that describes a sentence with punishment. Romans chapter 1 is very clear. Everybody's problem is actually, the world's problem is God. If you are not in Christ, we're going to explain that one in a moment then you're outside of Christ. Turns out there's no neutral territory, by the way. There's no middle ground. You're either in Christ or you're out. And those that are outside of Christ are under condemnation. And Paul says something that's fantastic here. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation. What he didn't say was, sometimes there's condemnation. That's not what he said. And Paul didn't say, you know, every time you muck up and make a mistake, you slip in and out of condemnation. We kind of have this perception sometimes that my salvation is dependent upon what I do. I'm going to ask a question now that I want to sit with you. We're going to answer it before too much longer. Can you lose your salvation? If you're a Calvinist here this morning, the answer is no. But what condemnation and no condemnation highlights is this. There was nothing you could do to earn your salvation. Paul's Paul's just spent five chapters telling us that. There's nothing you could do. The works of the law can't buy you salvation in Jesus Christ. There's no meritorious act. You can give all the money you like. You can come to church all you like. You can do all the religious acts you like. You can pray in old King James. It doesn't matter. Unless you have faith in Christ. So, if there's nothing you can do, the next part of this is gloriously good news for some people here this morning. If there's nothing you can physically do to earn your salvation, there's no sin you can commit that will throw you out of salvation. I'm going to back that up in a moment. Now, let's answer the question can you lose your salvation? There's nothing you can do that would make God hate you so much because let's have a look at the list of what we've already done, right? There's nothing you could do that would make God hate you so much that he would throw you out or lose your position. But you can walk away. You can lift up the anchor and drift away. There's parents in this room this morning that have got children that have lifted up the anchor and drifted away. Once upon a time, their anchor used to be firm in Christ, but the currents of this world have drifted them away. And we often think that we move in and out of God's condemnation. I've made a mistake, so I'm out of salvation. If I sin and then I die two minutes later, where am I going to be? Well, let's answer that question. You see, Dr. Martin Lord-Jones had a really great perception when he was speaking on this. He said, you know, it's kind of like a man that And the civil law, but a man who was married. Now, if a man breaks a civil law, there's a punishment that is required. But but if that same man who is the husband does something to his, something that offends his wife, now that man hasn't broken a law, broken a heart. Legally, that man's still married. Legally. He has not lost his position. Legally, he hasn't gone in and out of marriage. We don't slide in and out of marriage. Many men are going, really? But we hold our position. And It's the same in Christ. What Paul wants everybody to know, the assurance he brings is there is therefore now no condemnation. You haven't broken a law, friends. You've broken a heart. And what happens when there's an offence in a marriage? Intimacy is lost and distance is caused. Same happens with God. Next week we talk about walking in the Spirit. The week after we talk about two very powerful words, Abba, Father. We're going to look at the truth that intimacy increases capacity. Increased capacity increases authority. Many Christians struggle with the intimacy part. There is therefore now, here's the greatest news that you could hear today. There is therefore now no condemnation. And everybody's having a party, but there's a clause For those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul didn't say. Paul didn't say for those that are around Christ Jesus. It didn't, Paul didn't say for those that are near Christ Jesus. No, no, no. He said in. You see, we have a very watered down, I believe, a very watered down sloppy version of what conversion looks like today. Conversion is a radical, progressive transformation in the whole of your life or it's not conversion. Conversion. You can't be in Christ because the emphasis on the in is completely surrounded and enclosed by. Wow. You can't be in and have one foot in and one foot out. You, you, you can't dabble with Jesus. It's called dating Jesus. You can't date Jesus. There's a time when you've got to meet him at the altar and say, this is where we move on. You have a look at the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. Those that are reading Rock Reflections, we're working our way through the book of Acts. But it highlights some beautiful truths. Truth number one, nobody got saved in church in the book of Acts. Read it. There was no emphasis on come to church and get saved. No, you can get saved right here. The other difference in the book of Acts was everyone that was converted had a radical change in their life. Uh, many, many centuries ago, there was a little man by the name of Noah. And if you've read the Russell Crowe version or you've watched the Russell Crowe version of Noah, it's hogwash. Russell Crowe should stay as a gladiator. He makes a very poor Noah. But a little man by the name of Noah lived in a very corrupt time. In fact, the Bible is... Very descriptive, it says the intentions of man's heart was evil before God all the time. And people say that God doesn't have emotions, but God was grieved, it says. God was grieved and repentant, wow, that he had made mankind. So what he does is he comes to a little man by the name of Noah and he says, I want you to build a boat. Let me give you a little bit of background here. Noah didn't live by the coast. (laughs) And also, up until Noah, no one really knew what rain was. God comes to Noah and says, build a boat because I'm going to send a flood upon this place and I'm going to destroy all mankind, but I want you to build an ark. So Noah spends 120 years building an ark. The second epistle of Peter says that he was a herald or a preacher of righteousness. Why? Because he stood up in a wicked generation and said, I'm going this way. That's conversion. I'm going this way. You do what you like. And so for 120 years, he builds a boat. And the floods come. And everybody apart from Noah and his family is condemned. I know we've been in Sunday school and we've got these pretty little pictures of rainbows when we talk about Noah. and It was a horrendous. Imagine being not in that boat for a moment. Let's fast forward many thousands of years. God has built an ark. (laughs) And his name is Jesus. And he says, there's a deluge coming upon the earth. And if you're not in the ark, you're going to suffer. Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, in every other translation, apart from the old King James, every other translation says, God said to Noah, go thou into the ark. The old King James, which uh, depending on, Which theological swing you swing on is the only translation. But the old King James Version says something very different, and it's correct in the Hebrew. God said to Noah, Come thou into the ark. God was already in there. And Genesis chapter 7 says that when, here's a beautiful truth, when Noah entered the ark, God shut him in and shielded him from everything outside. He didn't even get his toenails wet. I need a kayak like that. But Noah was in the ark, and that's the same as us. We can be in Christ. God shuts you in. That's the security. That's the assurance. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not in Muhammad, not in Buddha, in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law, principle, of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We're going to have a look at the word free in a moment. There's some people here that need to hear that word. But first of all, we need to address the law of the spirit of life. The Holy Spirit brings life. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly or have it to the full. And too many people have misconstrued that to mean that Jesus has promised you that you will have health, wealth and happiness while you're here on this planet. And if God blesses you that way, then enjoy it. But what I'm saying is, that's not the life that Jesus was talking about. Jesus wasn't using the word bios when he said life. He was using the word zoe in Greek. And the word zoe is life as God has it. Wherever the Holy Spirit is, he brings life. The offer for every single person in this room this morning is that you can have life. And everybody sitting here is, hang on a second, I'm alive! <laughs> Do you know you can be breathing oxygen and still dead? And how many people have wondered in Genesis chapter 3, when God said to Adam, as soon as you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. How many people know that Adam lived for many, many, many years afterwards? Did, did God get it wrong? Was God just trying to bluff him? Was that scare tactics? No, no, no. Adam died. Died the moment, probably before his teeth hit the apple. Because the Hebrew word for death, which translates over into the Greek, is the the word separation. So when we say somebody has physically died, their physical body has been separated from their spirit. There is a separation. And What happened to Adam was he certainly died. There was a separation in the life that he had, the union that he had, the abundance that he had with God. There was a separation. Jesus said, I've come to give you that back. Jesus said, I've come to give you that most important part of this gospel is you can have that life. You can come back into connection with God. That's life. You can be decaying in the physical, which we all are. Okay, I've got wrinkles I never used to have. I find it a lot easier nowadays to put weight on than I do to get rid of it. Gravity takes a toll on the outside. And I know you're all thinking you're looking pretty buff, Pastor. I don't know. (laughs) That's what you were thinking, right? But he is the spirit of life, and Jesus has come to give us life. Because he has come to set us free. I love this term. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The problem is, I think we have a misconception of what freedom actually is. Many people if if your terminology of freedom is I can do what I want, when I want, how I want, why I want, that was the problem with mankind in the first place. Remember when I was at the casino, debaucherous place to work, by the way, but I worked at the casino with a bunch of young guys that were like 25 to 30 years of age. Now, I was married when I was 20, and I know you guys think, well, you must have only been married for two years, but um, I was married when I was 20, but these guys are like their mid 20s to 30s, and they've got no interest in marriage. And it's interesting because they associate freedom with being single. Well, we're single. We can do what we want, when we want, how we want, why we want. So we're free. And I try to explain to them, you know, the greatest freedom in the world is the freedom to be able to choose one person to the exclusion of everybody else. Freedom is actually to know what you want and also to have the power to have it. The freedom that the Spirit brings to us is a freedom that unshackles us. You never had the freedom to choose God before. You didn't have that freedom. You were under an old master. Now you have the freedom to choose. Every time you open your eyes in the morning, and praise God if you do, every time you open your eyes in the morning, you have the opportunity to choose God. Every time you go to work, you can choose God. Every time you're in a confrontational situation, every time you get evangelically ticked off when somebody cuts, evangelicals get ticked off. Pentecostals are really spiritual. They just let it all go. When it comes to road rules, I'm very evangelical. Brother, you're going to need some condemnation. (laughs) You have the opportunity to choose God. That's freedom. 20 years ago, I made the most liberating choice of my life to marry one lady to the exclusion of everybody else and I've been put, no I haven't <laughs> let's keep going on to verse 3 cuz <laughs> we we need to move on really quickly for For the law of the spirit of life has set you free. That principle of life in the spirit, the life as God has it, is a life and a power to live the godly life. What Paul highlighted in Romans chapter 7 was, what a wretched man I am. What I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do do. Sounds very Irish, Richard. To be sure, to be sure. I'm not Irish, I can see over the pulpit, so I'm not... (laughs) it's right, you know the gospel took off in the United Kingdom right it was very very attractive in the United Kingdom the reason is the Welsh could sing about it the Irish could fight about it the English could talk about it and it appealed to the Scots because it was free And I don't think we have any Scottish people here this morning. (laughs) So verse 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus, free from a life where you're powerless to overcome. What does Paul say at the end of Romans chapter 7? What a wretched man I am who will save me from this body of death. Blessed be God the Father through Jesus Christ. my Savior. There's hope, but not on your own. Verse 3. For God has done, underline that word. You see, religion is spelled D O. Christianity is spelled D O N E. And all the teachers in the room are getting a tick. That's not how you spell. But I wasn't good at Mass either. For God has done, how has He done it? God, was done, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. How have you done this, God? How have you achieved what we can't do in our own power? He says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. What does that mean? It, and in him he condemned sin in the flesh. What it means is when you come into Christ, all of that condemnation that was deserving upon you, God poured it out on Jesus. And now we are free to choose God. We are, there's no condemnation in this room this morning. Absolutely none. Being in Christ. Many people have asked, what's the biggest difference in church since COVID? What's, what's going to be different? What's going to be new? People are looking at the walls. Have we changed the colour of the walls in here yet? yet i think the biggest difference in church has to be has to be a change from membership to discipleship members come to church when it's convenient members are involved in the body of Christ when it's convenient members are dating Jesus. Members are kind of just trying to tack Jesus onto the end. You see, in in football, there's people that support teams. You know? When it's on telly, they'll barrack for their team. But, man, you go to a Collingwood game, and not only do they not have any toothbrushes, but these guys are passionate. You know, uh, they've got a guy for the Collingwood team by the name of Jaffa. He wears a Collingwood jacket. He's got a tooth. (laughs) He wears this golden jacket that the club's given him. But you know, every game, win, lose, or draw, I've seen Collingwood get flogged by 100 points and he's on the sidelines cheering. He's not here just for the. See, members are only in it for when it's good, (laughs) members are only in Jesus for when it's comfortable. The problem is that, as you get on the railroads of discipleship, it, ups, it upsets the members. Members barrack at home watching the television, but, but the passionate supporters, they've got the Guernsey on. They don't care whether it's raining. Uh, Mark Connor highlights this beautifully. He comes from Melbourne, so he knows what real football looks like. And Mark Connor says, you know, he says you turn up to an AFL game. He says, and the difference sometimes between AFL games and church is interesting. He says, you turn up to an AFL game, the supporters are there an hour before the game. He says, they're there, win, lose or draw. No matter the results, they're there. He says, the ticket price has steadily gone up. He says, every year, he says, but they still pay. He says, God's had a flat rate of 10%. For thousands of years. He says, you know what? He says, if the game is getting tight and there's been a lot of free kicks and we have to go into overtime, nobody's looking at the watch. He says, but in church, he says, you get to 11 o'clock, he says, and then hey, someone's ringing the bell. I don't know if the worship team's available. Is Stu available? Can I ask the worship team to come back? I'm going to finish this morning and we're going to have a song to finish in a moment. But I want to tell you a story before we get there. As the worship team make their way back, I I remember the story about a a couple that got married. And on their wedding day, they they go through the ceremony, they they go through the reception, and they're heading off to the honeymoon, and uh, they're heading off into the country to a nice, quiet little place to begin their honeymoon and to begin their life together. And, as they're winding their way through the country roads, it gets dark and the fog sets in and and there's a truck in the way and the groom sees the road straighten out in front of him but what he didn't see was the car coming the other way. He hits the car head on with such impact that the car spins up in the air, lands on its roof and slides and they're both knocked unconscious. He's the first one to come to. When he looks over at his bride, she's gushing with blood, she's still unconscious, and he knows they're a long way from any help, and she's in big trouble. And as happenstance would have it, he looks out the window, and there's a sign that says Dr. Bill Bray, MD. Of all the places that he could have crashed his car, he crashed right into the front of a doctor's. He knows that time is of the essence. He gets out of the car. He pulls his beautiful bride out of the car. He walks up to the door. It's late at night. He bangs, bangs, bangs. Finally, a man comes down. He says, "Please help me, sir. My wife is in danger. She's bleeding." He says, "I'm so, 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 so." He says, "I no longer have a license. I can't help you." That young man looks at the doctor and he says, "You've got two choices." You start practicing medicine, you take down your side. I believe the message of the gospel, I believe the message from God today to everybody in this room is, you start practicing medicine, you take down your side. I believe the message to this church is, you start being medicine, you start being What's the problem? The world needs the gospel. And they're not rushing through these doors to hear it. Has anybody noticed that? I believe the message from God today is you start practicing medicine and you take down your sign. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the wonderful blessing of the person of Jesus Christ. What the law was powerless to do, God Almighty has done. In the person of Jesus Christ, you've set us free this morning. Your word told me that. Your word has told me that we don't have any condemnation this morning. Your word tells me that I have life. (laughs) That the chains can fall off and I can have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that every one of us in this place would not only have the sign up, but Lord, we'd have the scalpel and the stitches in our hands. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the answer for a bleeding world. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today. And we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.